strange week. I, I don't think there are any normal weeks anymore. Yeah, as this year's been kind of a bust. But this particular week, um, yeah, we got a lot of big things. We got we got Jeb out of the race. We've got. Um, do you see all the stuff coming out of Mobile World Congress and the whole? You already saw that VR photo of everybody <laughs> looking into like Oculus Rifts, and then like Mark Zuckerberg just walking alongside them. I, I did, and I I think I was also quick to internally make fun of it, but I thought Sandwich's tweet about it was pretty good. What was that? Yeah, he Something to the effect of, listen, guys, this is a room of excited developers who are probably going to make a bunch of cool things, and their CEO who's also super excited about it. And I was like, huh, yeah, that's that's fair. I completely agree with that, but somebody had to have thought that that the, the, visually, the, optics, the optics were not very good. I didn't want to. I didn't want to use like a media politics term about it, but but yes, like it just looks really weird. And so let's 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 go into that. We won't talk about VR too much, but I, I think I, I want to know from you as somebody who's a big proponent of virtual reality. Do you think it's ever going to be widely accepted? Because I certainly don't. Because it has. Like that image has like so much like stigma attached to it, and it just looks like I think technology in a lot of ways, whenever it's like revolutionary, it it doesn't necessarily completely like alter the dynamics of human communication and human interaction, and like that picture, like that like small sight of the future looks very off putting to somebody like me who is is maybe a casual observer or interested party in new technology. Well, so there, there's two two things I would say to answer your question. First is, and this is something that we've mentioned time and time again, which is the, you know, the key with VR, and it's an obvious thing to say, but you got to say it anyway, which is it has to prove itself. It's got to it's got to work. You know, really the only thing that we've seen so far have been developer kits, which, you know, have been getting better and better over time. They've been taken to a couple of um, shows where they've been demoed and the, the demos have been fairly impressive. But at the end of the day, the only way that VR is going to have any sense of widespread adoption is going to be through proving that it's a really great experience. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, VR is not going to look like it does today. You know, eventually we're not going to have these big boxes strapped to our head with two uh, two screens, one for each eye. You know, this stuff is eventually going to evolve into, you know, contact lenses, or if you want to go really extreme, some type of like, you know, bioengineered implant or something. I mean, that like you're, it or you're not, re you're really that, reassuring the audience. Well, I am. Yeah. I mean, like it or not, that's the way this stuff is going. And so, is it though? Oh, I mean, totally is. I mean, th any <laughs> any Why? example of technology. Well, I mean, th think about anything that's ever, any new product category that's ever come out. The first iteration is generally bulky and not very nice looking. And then over time, it gets thinner, it gets lighter, it gets more sleek looking. And that's just the way technology goes. And VR will be no exception. But, uh, but most technological innovation has been things that people want. You don't think people want VR? No. Why? I just don't think they do. Like, I think people want thinner screens. I think they want, like, like in their home, I think, like, walls that were, like, if your entire, like, apartment or home was, like, have you ever seen the awful Disney uh, Channel original movie, Smart House? No. I guarantee you have. Um let me, I, I don't think I have. I'll send you a, a link while I'm talking about this. But and don't get me don't make me wrong. I I am a <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the the Disney original film, but uh, it, it or Dis, Disney Channel original film. Sorry. Um, where's Slack? Um, but yeah, like it uh, every uh, wall of your house being uh, like a, a screen that could be manipulated either with like content that you want to see or to transport you to a place that you aren't really like. I think stuff like that would eventually be something that people would want. But I don't think, I just think most people will reject the idea of some device, no matter how big it is, just like taking over their consciousness and like transporting them somewhere else. Like, I think this has an appeal in terms of video games, and I think that's why you like it. 
But I think like there have to be better ways to like virtually show a home or something like that. Like I don't think everybody's going to go home from working at whatever their whatever jobs there still are that haven't been taken over by robots in 2040. And then they go to their modular apartment uh, where Amazon delivers everything to them. And then they strap on this headset or they wear something that they just stare at until they fall asleep. Like I think most technology in like the history of time does not stop you from being like a human being that understands you're human. And I think that's what VR seems to like want to do. Yeah, but I think another strong feeling that a lot of people have or a strong desire that a lot of people have is escapism. And VR is the, the absolute, you know, perfect way to embrace that feeling. But do you think that's good? I don't. Like, I think people like like to escape through movies or television or other forms of media, like where they, they can use their imagination. But almost none of those things... Like I think if really immersive VR is um, is successful, it like you stop acknowledging like your surroundings, and I think that's what like no matter how much you try to escape or or distract yourself in real life, including with technology, you still know where you are, who you are, and like how you exist. Well, I mean, like like everything, it's all about moderation. Of course, if you're someone who's sitting there 10 hours a day with this thing strapped on your head, no, that's not healthy. But if you're coming home in the evening and where if you maybe traditionally would watch a little bit of TV or you know play a video game, I'm not really sure why you know an hour or two of instead using something like an Oculus Rift is, is any different. I mean, what, what, what you're describing... What what we have today could also be harmful. If you're someone who watches too much TV or plays too many video games through you know more traditional means like a console or a handheld, or even just spends too much time on your smartphone, I mean, that's that's equally detrimental. So I don't necessarily think what you're describing. I don't know if VR is necessarily the problem behind that. I agree that maybe people who have the types of issues that you're describing vr could sort of magnify those but i don't think vr in and of itself is the issue i think it is more detrimental because like while i think people who like are addicted to video games or or certain types of media that that is problematic but i think with all those for the most part you still know that you're you've been in your apartment like for six hours and you've just been staring at your tv but you still see your surroundings like you're you understand that you're a human being who's been staring at your television with with a controller in your hand for six hours but you know where you are and like what you're not doing but i mean i think but again i think that can happen today and i mean i have an example of this where when i was in middle school i was completely addicted to counter-strike as were a lot of kids my age around that time and there were multiple summer evenings where I would start playing Counter-Strike after dinner and before I knew it, it was dark outside. It had been five or six hours of time that had passed. So I, I had completely lost sense of time and sense of day. Um, obviously not a good thing and obviously not something I do anymore, but something that can happen with or without VR. Yeah, I... Hmm. I, I grant you that, again, VR can make that problem worse. It, it's easier for people to kind of fall into that trap. Again, I, I, I just worry, or my what I think the logical conclusion of this is, is again, like just whatever job humans still have left, it's basically you, you wake up, you do that for as long as necessary, you go home, and then you're doing this. And you fall asleep and repeat. Like people stop living real lives. I See, I actually think what the the bigger issue is eventually going to be is at least today when someone is immersing themselves in something like a VR headset or even just you know looking at their phone it's very obvious when they're doing that um i think what's going to be really challenging is when, eventually when we move towards again something like a, a contact lens or something where if, from the outside it's it's not even going to look like you're interacting or looking at anything digital but in reality, you are. And I think that that's where um, it's going to start getting really weird. I mean, we've already kind of seen this with like, you know, the whole 
kerfuffle that happened around Google Glass and that bar in San Francisco a year or two back where he, like it, as as an outside user or an outside just party you can't even tell like what the person's looking at or what they're doing with the device and i think that i think that's really unsettling and, and so i that, think that's, that's why that google glass was so soundly rejected and ostracized because it's a bad technology that people don't need but again think think about a technology like google glass but one that again as an as an outside party you can't even tell whether or not the person has hmm. That that I think is the is the true challenge to all this stuff, not the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive. If we can s- nicely transition into that, we we won't. But I, I like how <laughs> I think I think it's cute that you uh, pretend that anything HTC makes will gain any traction. <laughs> um, I, I love that they still try. Well, okay, so we are we are going to transition into this unless you no, really no, no. do okay. have something else. Man, we're gonna lose all listeners for the good Apple stuff. Uh, and just to, to wrap people, that up, people people can skip ahead. Are it's you gonna put chapters thing. into this? Uh, I I should look into that. There's some there's some app that Jason Snell's been talking about that I guess makes that easy now. Yeah, friend of the show. Uh huh. Um, have you seen uh, the television uh, program Black Mirror? I have not, although it's been on my list. The actual program is 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 very it's it's polarizing, and I actually don't like most of it. But there is, uh, I think, you should watch in the very near future. Uh, they have a Christmas special that has John Hamm in it, and it 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 takes on a lot of this, and it is uh, something that you should watch. Hmm. And, and I and you should do that like in the next week or two, and then come back and 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 tell me what you think. Okay, duly noted. I, and I can just watch that one episode. Yep, it's like an hour and a half, but it it goes into uh, a lot of concepts of what happens when. It, it, yeah, just watch it. Are is that that series or the episodes not related to one another? You know how British television they always do like just one off like Christmas specials and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's that. Oh, okay, got it. So the, so the other episodes do relate to one another, but this one particular episode does not. No, they're actually pretty freestanding. They all. Like the the program is supposed to be like a modern day Twilight Zone sort of. Anyway, it's 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 available on Netflix. Just watch the Christmas episode, and then if you enjoy it, maybe cautiously watch some of the other ones. Duly noted. Okay. If you must, we can talk about VR before we get to the interesting stuff. Okay. So now, now as I, as I was trying to to previously segue into so. Uh, to close out the, the VR talk, uh, this week we got the official announcement of HTC's Vive, uh, that's such a weird thing to say, availability, uh, pre-orders starting on Monday, February 29th, happy leap year, um, and it will be available in April for the cost of $7.99, which at first glance, you know, 200 bucks more than the Oculus, seems expensive, is expensive. But the difference here is that the Vive is going to come with two controllers, one for each hand, as well as these little... Yeah, so the Oculus is also going to have controllers, but they're just not going to be available at launch. They're going to be available for an additional cost later this year. Um, But what's what's the deal with the dual-handed thing? Well, so, I mean, the idea is when you're in a virtual space, you want to be interacting with things, you know, kind of with your hands. And so these controllers are supposed to enable that sort of movement as opposed to just having your hands on a static controller. I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see how that stuff works. The, the other, the, the more kind of crazy thing with the Vive, which is also going to be bundled in, are these sensors that you put in your room so that you can actually have VR experiences where you're walking around the room, but then the sensors know where your walls and furniture and things are so that you're not like running into stuff. <laughs> but what's crazy is like in the, the demos they've done for this, like you need a fairly big space. Like from what I, I, I haven't dug into the details on this, but from what I've read and listened to so far, it sounds like even a space like my studio apartment here wouldn't necessarily be big enough or at least not an ideal sort of space for this type of functionality. So you do get more in the box compared to the Oculus. And I th- I think this price actually is lower than what a lot of people were expecting. I think the general consensus was a thousand bucks plus. 
But the thing I would sort of question is the additional functionality that's being built in here. How useful is it going to be to most people? Sure. And then, you know, the other thing that <clears throat> got kind of brought up in the conversation this week is how cross-compatible is software going to be between the Oculus and the, the Vive? It, both companies have said relatively positive things about that, but we'll see how it is in reality. Because um, I think that is something that's going to be important. I, I don't think it's going to be beneficial to the adoption of VR to have some type of platform war between Facebook and Valve. Um, it's going to be much more productive if software is largely uh, cross-platform. So does this thing run on a Windows computer? It does. So this is, HTC is partnered with Valve, the makers of Steam, who I know we're going to be talking much more about later in the episode. So yes, th this will run on a Windows PC just like the Oculus does. Hmm. Okay. The, the Oculus is going to have its sort of own store, whereas I think the HTC Vive is basically going to be built right into Steam. Hmm. Again, I have very little to add, except that this in particular, compared to the Oculus, looks way creepier. It does, yeah. <laughs> Visually, it's sort of an odd-looking device. I know it's not like to the point of mass consumerization, but shouldn't there be some type of attempt to make these not look terrifying? Well, I think again, like reaction, <laughs> like every other new uh, product category, we're totally going to look back at these first iterations of the headsets and laugh. I mean, five years from now, these things are going to look again comical. So. I, th I think some, sometimes, though, when we see a first generation of a product, at, at the time, we don't realize how archaic it's going to look eventually. I'm not saying archaic. I'm saying creepy. Well, okay. <laughs> like, it's like, a, it, it looking archaic, like, we, we, I think that's referring to the fact that it's maybe bigger than consumer versions would, or like, or uh, maybe a fourth generation product would look like. But no, I just mean that it looks scary. I'm looking at this uh, on a, a picture on a website called roadtovr.com, and I'll send it into. But yeah, it's it's, oof. and those controllers. Huh. I don't know if those. I don't know if those controllers in this picture are the final, the final version. They don't look. They don't look like the one on HTC's website. Any, anyway, though. But, but the headset on the glass head is accurate. The headset is mostly the same, yeah. Ugh. All right. I'm glad that people who aren't me are going to experiment with this and, and flush it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's got to be an early adopter for everything, so good on you. Well, so since I'm likely going to take the fall on the Oculus, you should take the fall on the Amazon Echo, which we texted back and forth about some this week. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, sorry, I meant that to be to, to save something for later, not to be an, an awkward shutdown. So, do you want to move on to the Apple stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I put this in in the topics for tonight, not because I necessarily have a lot more to say, but it just feels like so much more has happened this week that we'd be remiss to at least not mention it. Yeah, I, I listened to or watched or listened to that uh, interview on the way home, and pretty pretty weird. So the big things that came out this week were the news that uh, the like county of San Bernardino, in conjunction with the FBI, kind of uh, they, they reset the iCloud password, which cut themselves off from the best chance they had at getting through the information. I think that was the, the biggest revelation. And then Tim Cook has been on like a little mini press tour. Uh, doing a whole lot of interviews, and most recently tonight he did uh, an interview with uh, ABC News for Nightline, talking about the story. So nothing has. Uh, did the motion to compel Apple to comply was that before or after last week? I think that was like the day after we recorded. You're talking about the the DOJ. Yeah, the the second motion form. I think I think that was after we recorded last week. Okay. 
I mean, so yeah, that's that's mainly what's happened. So the uh, the Department of Justice and the FBI are sticking to their guns, and they um, really want Apple's cooperation with this. Uh, and Apple has dug in their heels, uh, stating that they just don't think it's it's a it's a proper thing that they should be doing, and then it has far broader implications, which I think most uh, rational people would uh, agree with. The FBI has gone on. Uh, the defensive and as talked about like uh, they've done like emotional appeals to uh, why wouldn't you want to do this if it helps uh, potentially save innocent lives and all this stuff but uh, yeah the fbi and the government have been stressing that it's a, it's a single use case type situation that apple could control but tim cook in that abc news interview accurately points out that it's one you can't guarantee that and once you set the precedent and the idea that this is the way things are it just opens up a whole can of worms. And in particular, he made a, a point, I don't want to cover too many topics too quickly, but he made a really good point that I hadn't really concerned about. Like I had been maybe thinking of it a little too shallowly in terms of a privacy versus security debate, but that he was talking about it also being a personal safety and and, and privacy type stance. Yeah, like he used the example of how you know many people... Um, using an app like where's my iPhone, you know, keep tabs on their kids, right? And the idea of the government or any sort of outside party also having access to that information is potentially a, a very unsafe thing for, for your children. And that, that, well, yeah, I agree. That was a really interesting angle that I hadn't considered. Yeah, I think that interview was mostly um, very successful uh, for Apple's position. I do think the whole, I think him talking about why writing a backdoor is such a, a weird thing, him continuing to refer to it as a cancer for software was, I think that was a line that he kept using that was really strained and awkward. But otherwise, no, I, th I think he made some very uh, cogent points and that it was, um, it was pretty good. And I, I, it's really surprising to me. Like, I guess maybe I don't, um, I haven't been thinking about the magnitude of what it is for a, a U.S. company to basically say no to the law enforcement arm of the government. But yeah, I, I look forward to seeing how this pans out. Like it's, yeah, it could be a pretty big deal, but I'm very happy that Apple's fighting the fight because I think a lot of other companies probably wouldn't. I can't think of another company that would. I think Google's got your back. Maybe. Um, no, they don't. They probably don't, no. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, so Tim Cook acknowledged that it, I think he, he used the phrase that it's, it's an awkward position to be in. And he... Thinks it uncomfortable, but yes. Uncomfortable, right. And he made a very salient point where he said the reason it's uncomfortable is because the government is, is the ones who are supposed to be protecting our civil liberties. And in this case, Apple feels like it's the one doing that and the the party that's trying to circumvent those rights is the is the party that's supposed to be protecting them. That's tr it, that's definitely true. And also, I think that goes to like kind of my whole feeling about this is that, and, and that Tim Cook continued to stress, which is that, like, just in terms of like what this country, what we most people believe the country to be, and what this country and its leaders kind of generally tend to expound and and talk about what makes like American exceptionalism and what makes America different. It seems like this type of thing is exactly what that is. Not sacrificing personal freedom and liberties for vague and unclear potential gains and marginal increases in security. And I just find it super weird that a leading consumer electronics manufacturer is the one that's fighting to uphold that rather than a government protecting its its own citizens. Yeah, Gruber uh, tonight had linked to a New York Times article, um, and this actually brought together a couple of different stories from the last couple of weeks where um, the New York Times had cited a quote from um, Scalia from a Supreme Court case back in the 80s where he had a, a line um, in his majority opinion, which he wrote, that goes, there is nothing new in the realization that the Constitution sometimes insinuates the criminality of a few in order to protect the privacy of us all. And that's a, that's a powerful line, and I, you know, I, I think the, what, we, what we're going through today with Apple and the FBI, you couldn't come up with a more applicable example of that.
Absolutely. Um, so the one thing I wanted to ask you about, and the one thing that stood out to me, or one of the things that stood out to me in the interview, and maybe I just totally read this wrong, but at one point, Tim Cook got asked, you know, what if the FBI had come to you guys early in the process prior to making this public and had sort of made this type of request and you had it set up so that, you know, nobody, nobody would find out the FBI would come on campus. They'd go into like Johnny Ives lab, literally create some type of software to hack open the phone, get the information, destroy the OS and walk out. And Tim Cook's response basically was, well, the FBI didn't do that. Like he did, he didn't respond saying, no, we still wouldn't have done it. He just said that the FBI didn't chose not to do that. And they chose to make this public. So like, is, was that like a non-denial denial or am I just reading into it too much? I think it's, it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I, what, how it I, it doesn't really matter anymore because this is where we are. Well, but I guess it, like it it does. Well, but it, I guess it, it matters in the sense that if if my if my thinking is true, then like is is that to say that Apple would have done this if they could have ensured that it was never publicly known that they did it? And is now the issue that because it's public information, now there'd be no way to really successfully be able to pull this off and have it truly be a one-time case. I think that might be true. But again, I, I, I don't think you'll ever get an answer to that. And for that reason, I don't think it matters. Because again, because it is public and because this is what it is now, that's, that's where we're working from. I think that Apple's position or or the question is that once like if there was if if that had happened and there was like kind of this un this this private <laughs> private for the government um knowledge that Apple would cooperate under certain circumstances it just it's like the sliding scale of what the severity of some instance is for when they'll do this and I think the problem with that is. If this is something that, let's say, the government wants to employ every once in a while, even if it was reserved for just certain instances, does that mean that Apple actually like destroys the software? Like, do they have to redevelop this every single time it's wanted, or do they keep it like tightly secured? In which case, having a backdoor that's very closely held is still a backdoor that could be compromised by a disgruntled employee hackers and other stuff which which goes to the root of the problem that we're discussing now right so uh, i don't know but again based on where we are i don't think it matters and i'm actually in that case i'm glad that it it, it turned out this way right i'm just i uh, again there's been some debate as to whether the question has been accurately posed to the public but certain um public opinion polling groups have have been asking people uh, have been trying to gauge the uh, opinion of the American public on this in in a minor majority seem to uh side with the government does that worry you do you think it's it's that most people don't understand what it means or that most people just don't care and they and they will take this appeal to like uh, to safety over personal privacy i think no, it's not surprising um, for a couple of reasons. One is because, yes, it is a, it is an incredibly complex issue. So when you're trying to get a quick poll of people in the days after an issue like this comes up, people don't yet have all the information that they need. And so you're getting a response from people that's based more on emotion than on facts. And I think the other thing which you already pointed out, which is most of the polling that's been done Gruber and others have been quick to point out that the way those questions have been framed have been troubling, have not been very unbiased. And so that I think that also calls into question a lot of the data that we've seen. So no, I mean, what we've seen so far, I don't think is surprising. Yeah. And to, to round out this topic, uh, did you see the New York Times report earlier today uh, that Apple's working to um, uh, up or that they've increased their efforts with uh, newer versions of iOS? to eliminate this point of failure? I, I did see that, and I this is not directly related, but one of the things I was, one of the, the big takeaways I had from this week, which I hadn't considered, is the fact that 
you know, iCloud backups today are completely unencrypted. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I had just assumed that they were. And then, you know, when I thought about it, it, I, it makes total sense why they're not. Um, but I, that was still s- surprising. Again, something I, I hadn't previously considered. Yeah. And again, I, I just, I, I liked that, that story mainly because it just, it seems like, uh, Apple took the opportunity for the FBI to, uh, submit kind of, a an informal radar report and, and they're fixing the bug. Hmm. Yeah. Just nice. Uh, it's, it's a legislative bug report. Hmm. All right. Well, um, anything more to say or is, is we're just going to kind of leave it there and continue to follow the story as it uh, as it unfolds sure so keeping with apple stuff uh os 10 10.12 well you had didn't you had you had some encryption tips right did you want to tag that on the back end of this uh i'll give that as a an addendum to the pick of the week okay all right yeah yeah. i don't i didn't mean to didn't mean to you know Give away too much there. This is a well-oiled uh, podcasting machine. You, already offline, you gave me a hard time about giving away the, the picks of the week in the episode summary. So I'm I'm extra sensitive now towards giving away too much up front. Why are people going to listen to all the ad reads if they just get the <laughs> picks of the week in the description? It's a, it's a great point. I'm sorry. Yeah. Won't happen again. This week's episode is sponsored by letter P. Um, so OS 10. I don't, 10 wait, what? Huh? I don't get it. Remember Sesame Street? The, this this show is brought to you by the the letter P, the number two, and whatever, whatever. Oh, I don't remember that. You watched Sesame Street as a kid, didn't you? I did, I did but I, I don't remember that. Uh, anyway, for a third time, OS 10, <laughs> 10.12. Uh, do you have any guesses as to what it's going to be named before we actually get into anything of substance? Um, It's California places, and they keep naming, they keep picking weird names. Like, do you ref- have you ever referred to it as El Capitan? I I kind of refuse to. No, no. Mavericks, come on! I can't believe that was actually ever a thing. I usually just say OS ten. Yeah, uh, OS ten. But we're getting to a number where OS ten ten point twelve. That sounds weird. It does, you know. And I so before we get into, I, I think what you wanted to talk about, like th- th- kind of implicitly, the other thing that came out this week was that German just referred to this as ten point twelve, which was sort of like a backhanded confirmation that that's what it was going to be called. And like I initially was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe this would be the year they moved away from that, but then I thought about it, and you mean to move to like OS ten, uh, OS eleven. I don't know, like just something other than OS 10. But then you think about, you know, iOS 10 coming out this year, like this is going to be the one year where from a marketing perspective, they get to have, you know, iOS 10 and Mac OS 10 like out there side by side. I think I think what that sets up, though, is maybe next year. I don't think OS 11 happens until they they change chip architectures. Well, I don't think they necessarily call anything os 11 they they maybe they just take the names in a completely different direction no i i think i think when they switch to arm uh os 11 becomes a thing mm, i know i think i think if that happens they would want to make a cleaner break and they'd come up with some completely new uh, naming convention right in this episode number down <laughs> okay <laughs> i will be collecting my uh uh, we're not betting money, but I will be collecting my dignity. Or no, what's <laughs> no? <laughs> what's uh, the um? There's a word for this. I can't think of. Anyway. 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 Um. Well, you're you're rattled now. Really trying to think of this word. Anyway, OS ten point twelve. Uh, Mark Gurman had his usual. Basically, he just he says anything Apple's going to do six months before it actually happens because that's 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 his thing. And apparently, like every every operating system release or every every product, Apple usually picks two to like four big features that are like the 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 central tenets of uh, what the software is going to be. And apparently, this year it's going to be a uh, Siri on the desktop or laptop. So yeah, do, do you think that's something that would be useful to you? <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't use Siri on my phone, so prob- probably not. 
And the, the only time I really heavily use my Mac is when I'm sitting at my desk in an op open office space. <laughs> so, so no, if there's, if there's a device that I'm least likely to use Siri on, it's likely my Mac. Yeah, for me, it, uh, you can already, like, on some occasions, like, if nobody's home, I will use voice dictation sometimes on the Mac. But the thing is, that is already available inside. Like, Siri dictation is already available if you hit the, um, I don't know what command it is on most computers, but mine, if I double hit uh, the command key, it'll just start doing transcription, which is nice. But, yeah, I don't think that's going to be terribly useful. Like, the only way I think it's going to be useful and this is why I save this uh, for now, is in, like if it can turn my 5K iMac into like a gigantic Amazon Echo. Mm. Where if, I, if my iMac is now kind of uh, an apartment-wide, I just say, hey, Alexa, or, or uh, hey, uh, iMac, and then it just does whatever I want it to. Hmm. That's something that would be useful. But again, because most of the um, Macs that get sold are laptops, I'm not sure that would ever be a really key feature that they would uh, push out. But that would be interesting. Or I could just buy an Amazon Echo and get it over with. Yeah, I really want an Echo. but So I knew this was not going to be about 10.12 uh, at all. So uh, the Echo... I did not know that it sort of supported Pandora natively. Yeah, it supports. Um, I think and it supports Spotify now too. Yeah, a couple different music apps. It's it's gotten good about supporting um, a wider variety of third party apps. Because I thought it was only the Amazon Prime Now Music Library or whatever the hell it's called, and that's when I was super disinterested in it. And and the the thing that makes it a hard sell for me is that almost all reviews say that it's just a very mediocre and, and borderline bad Bluetooth speaker, like in terms of audio quality. But otherwise, it seems really cool. It's, yeah, it seems like the the reviews are that the microphones are really, really impressive and that it does a great job of understanding what you're saying, even if you're on the other, kind of the other end of the room. But then, yeah, the, the speaker part, not not so much. But just having something in the kitchen, because I, I don't have a gigantic apartment... But just being able to just have something that's a persistent always on that I'm able to just start listening to music or get information from or set timers or do that kind of stuff. I think that would be pretty dang useful. And, and, and a lot of people whose opinion I respect have been saying that it's actually a really nifty idea. Because I, I think even like just that small amount of friction that it reduces between like your voice activated computer assistant like i think just holding down the home button for like a second and a half i think that that is a decent amount of friction to actually using it and if there was something that what that was voice activated and actually had a really good microphone so that the chances of you having to repeat yourself are super uh, super small i think that's a really interesting and compelling product i think what holds me back most though is what we were just talking about a minute ago which is i, I already don't use something which can be somewhat similar, which is Siri. And I, I get that there's some shortcomings that Siri ha maybe has compared to the Echo, but I already have no um, desire to use that. So I, I guess I don't really enter. If I'm not using the Ahoy telephone feature, I don't really get why I would all of a sudden start using something like the Echo. I think I would use it for different reasons, though, because I... I I don't know why that that's why it's it's still like a tough sell and and the luckily for me uh, Amazon's out of stock on them until March 10th otherwise I probably would have gotten one last night. <laughs> oh those those late night impulse tech purchases. I've well, been no, you, I've, you I've just, been there. You, fi you finish listening to an episode like, and and uh, like or something that recommends something and you're like you just sit there trying to think of reasons why not and it's really hard cuz you're tired. And then that, that's, I'm saying I've, I've been there, man. And then you throw you throw in a mimosa or two, and <laughs> we're talking about you or me, <laughs> well, maybe both. <laughs> I like that you're classing it up. In the in the case in case of a mimosa, we'd likely be talking about you because you're the only crazy person who drinks a mimosa past two o'clock in the afternoon. I don't think that's true at all. I I have never I I think I can honestly say I've never met another person who has drinking a mimosa on a consistent basis in the evening not consistent uh, se semi-consistent you semi gotta get out more broaden your horizons hmm. 
Um, yeah, Taylor Swift is famous for uh, most of drinking at all times of the day. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know this. Good because I made it up. <laughs> so moving on. What? That, that that was one of the stranger things you've ever said on the show. Uh, I'll keep. We're, we're keeping that in though. All right. Do you want me to burst your bubble? <laughs> sure. Google Fiber is coming to San Francisco, except it's probably not. Yeah, yeah, no. You so you're not. Um, so so you're not. You're not bursting my bubble because I you're think not... so many people are misinterpreting what any of that is. It's so okay. So you you tee it off. Yeah. So th- there's there's been a dream that I and actually a couple of couple of close friends have had for a long time about it. You know, and anytime we see a new Google Fiber City popping up, like we always scramble to see if it's San Francisco. And this morning, headlines comes out, you know, Google Fiber coming to San Francisco. I think that that was literally like the Engadget headline that I saw. Um, but I, I think, you know, my impulse was to get super excited, but almost right away, like you want to you want to know the, the details, right? Like you want to know the dates, you want to know the precise locations in the city that it's coming to. Because one thing that comes up a lot in San Francisco with any sort of new service is it'll only come to parts of the city. Like even delivery services are pretty known for this now where like, you know, Uber Eats, for example, doesn't come to my area. So like this, the city gets kind of sectioned off like that for a lot of different services that come out. And you just know with something as complex as fiber that it's totally going to be that case where even within a certain part of the city, it's going to probably vary building to building. Um, and so, you know, the announcement that we got today didn't address either of those, which you kind of knew it wouldn't. So we have new, no, no timeline. We have no specific availability. Um, they, they did say that they've partnered with, you know, some undisclosed, um, um, company that's already laid fiber across the city. So that's presumably going to make the rollout go quicker and perhaps be a little bit more widespread. But again, the the devil's in the details with this stuff. So it, it's it's a step in the right direction. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not I'm not quite you know I I don't have my scissors ready to to cut my my Comcast cable yet. I think it's going to be something very similar to WebPass, which we which we've talked about in the past, where it's like a, it's on a building by building basis. Google's probably going to have like a more expanded government uh, government partnership or like local government partnership. But it's gonna be just for um like big buildings to start, probably just newer buildings, and it's it's gonna go from there. And I think just Joe random eight unit apartment building that's overpriced in uh in in the outer Richmond is not gonna get this for many, many, many years. Yeah, that's a uh, friend of the show, Troy and I were talking about that exact point this morning and he he also used the example of web pass and i right away was like yeah i think that's a perfect analogy and i i agree 100 percent. that's the way this is probably going to go yeah so anyway i'm i'm just listening to everybody be excited about it just temper or curb your enthusiasm right i, I think i think it, it it the the enthusiasm and the excitement could potentially be warranted but again but again, Comcast will fix their service before then. I know, like, it won't totally. But again, like, I have very little complaints about my Comcast well, that's, service. Actually, that so that was the other part of the announcement today that, um, or an, another part of my reaction rather to the announcement today was that I'm. It's not like I'm unhappy with my existing internet service. It'd be a lot different if I was stuck with some crappy connection that I was desperate to get away from. But I'm not like. Com- Comcast or Xfinity, whatever. Cable Town. <laughs> right. Is is pretty good where I am. It's it's reliable. It's fast. Um I mean, yeah, I I guess a gigabit fiber connection would be cooler. But, but you can already get that. It's just pricey. Well, true. Um and really like this is this is the old person side of uh, of us coming out again, but I don't I don't know if I don't know if I necessarily need a gigabit connection. Like I'm not I'm not really sure I'm not even necessarily sure that I take advantage of like my 100 megabit uh connection today. 
You said wait for all your virtual reality environments to come in. <laughs> I, so after after a long st- stream streaming live over the internet, right? After a long day of work, you can put on your headset until you fall asleep and restart another day. All right. It's gonna be such an awful future. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we're not gonna go back to that. So Google, <laughs> Google Fiber, it yeah, it's sort of gonna be here. There. Yeah. All right. Do you have anywhere that you want to go before I start complaining about Steam? So I think, so looking at our list of stuff to talk about, I, I think that's the the last main main topic we want to get to. And it, this is this is the one that I'm most excited about. Well, get ready to not be excited at all because <laughs> I don't have any actual um, feedback on Firewatch yet because I have not played it. Oh, that's that's so disappointing. That will, that will happen next week. But let me... Um, I'm going to send you a couple of screenshots. Uh, don't say anything about them yet. And our listeners can just enjoy this uh, small break. Yeah, this, in the, the action. This, plays, this plays really well over the, over the podcast. It okay. does. Um, all right. So uh, Firewatch is the uh, nifty game that's being re- that was developed by a game design company called Campo Santo, which is related to... Um, uh, Panic, which is a great Mac software developer, and Firewatch is supposed to be this really cool game that uh, everybody seems to like, and it's uh, a <laughs> well, short. Well, if I, if I can interrupt you, li- listeners of the show, which clearly you are not, w- would would know all this because it was my pick of the week last week. <laughs> exactly. That's what, I'm ta- that's what I'm talking about. Well, we we we're, we've already we've already said all this. <laughs> well, except so again, I I, <laughs> I have decided to to give this a shot. Okay. Yes. Um, and and I am somebody who has a very high threshold for uh messing around with video games and i think i figured out why because video games even not on a console are a huge pain in the ass so would you agree that most people seem to have an extremely favorable opinion of steam oh definitely why do you think that is i think because it works pretty darn well and i i would put myself in that camp where especially now with big picture and the xbox 360 and now xbox one controller support it's awesome but what problems is it or did it solve for pc gaming um i think having a central place to to purchase and store games obviously not an issue on consoles but it it is an issue on on the PC where you've either have to have a bunch of disks laying around or just a bunch of individual downloads where you have to remember product keys and like even like where you purchased it to begin with. So I think like Steam basically brought the the console experience to the PC. And is the console experience an easy to use experience? Is that the uh, the subtext? Yes, although like we've alluded to before, it's especially with this most recent generation of consoles has unfortunately gotten a bit more complex with patching and system updates and things like that but but generally yes still a fairly easy process so i tried to buy this video game uh, credit card in hand or sorry one one password open (laughs) it's 2016 let's be honest Uh um and holy crap was it was it a pain in the ass I I have a Mac, not a PC. I don't apologize for that. Uh, I installed Steam on my computer. I had no idea if I ever had a Steam account before. Apparently, uh, I did, because apparently maybe I tried and failed to download a video <laughs> game in the past. Um, I tried resetting my password multiple times. Uh, it would not let me uh, until it did let me somehow, and I got a whole bunch of password reset emails like 10 minutes later, and it didn't matter. So... Uh, you'll see uh, on one of the screenshots I sent you, I'm in this uh, non-retina, I will remind you. So oh, th- it's, it's, Steam is not retina? <laughs> Games play at native resolution. Like, Luckily, like when, uh, when I opened Firewatch to not play it, um, it <laughs> that was retina. But no, this whole excruciating experience of trying to give them money for a video game was in pixely, awful detail. Weird. So as I'm trying to reset my damn password, uh, an error occurred trying to handle that request. Please give us a few minutes and try again. And I kept on trying, and it made no difference. Uh, well, it eventually worked. And then it kept com- imploring me that uh, my account, my Steam account would probably get stolen and hacked if I didn't give it my phone number. So I did. 
And then it said, there is an error sending an SMS code to your phone. Please try again later, which I did. And that took like another 10 minutes. Again, none of this is retina. So eventually I finally got it to work after several minutes of, of, of messing around. Then when I uh, tried to buy it, it failed a couple more times, but then it did let me complete the purchase. And then as I was about to install uh, Firewatch the video game, it asks, do you want to create a desktop shortcut? Not a thing on the Mac. And do you want to create a start menu shortcut? Where is there a start menu on the Mac? <laughs> well, so the, the screenshot that I'm looking at here, yeah, this is just straight from their, the Windows version, obviously, of the app. So, so it kind of sounds like Steam on OS X is sort of just a bad Windows port. Certainly sounds like it, but apparently, like, again, even if it's a Windows port, why is everything related to account maintenance broken? This wasn't this wasn't like during a maintenance window. This wasn't like one a.m. on a Sunday night or something. Like it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think everything that you've described so far is obviously not not related to you being on a Mac, and I think it is just unfortunately a bad one-off issue. Create a start menu shortcut. How little do you have to care to like? The- I think. I mean. I, I mean, not not to be too cold about it, but. I, I just think that the the number of people who use Steam on OS X is so small that it the, I can't I can't well I mean as shown by the fact that it's not even a Retina optimized app it is just clearly not a platform that they're super focused on. Have they thought that maybe people don't give a shit about it because of this? Uh, I maybe, <laughs> but I mean, you and I both know that the, the Mac never has and never will be a gaming platform. Mm. And then to round it out. Uh, important Steam update news popped up um, <laughs> as, I, as I was installing this game. And apparently that important news is, can you infect the world? Plague Inc. Evolved now available. So apparently it's just well, no, it's, ads. It's now, now available. That's, that's, the, that's the update news that you needed. And, and, well, and, and you buried the lead here. It's, it's on sale for $13.49 compared what, to its regular wha- price of $14.99. What wacky ass price <laughs> pricing is that? Um, and then the very last thing I, I forgot to send one more. Just the, the ads, like why, why why is there so much? So apparently this next one is uh, trigger happy havoc <laughs> ganganamanpa is also on sale for twenty three ninety nine, and this is Steam update two of six because apparently you have to look at six ads before you can do anything. And this also goes, uh, there's this weird pop-up that you have to enable accessibility devices to allow any games to work, which I'm sure that's an OS X thing. And they, it, it's just, this was such a clusterfuck to spend $20 on a video game. And it was just frustrating. Yeah, that, that's, that's really disappointing. Um, my experience with Steam has always been really positive. Um, all the way from you know its its beginning days with Half Life Two, all the way up through today, having a you know PC connected via HDMI to my TV using Big Picture mode, Steam Steam's always been a reliable, smart piece of software. So that's that's a that's a bummer that clearly the same care that they take for the Windows version isn't carried over to the the Mac version. And the thing is, I have no idea if I should email them or even like. Is it just like throwing like a letter into like the ocean? Like, is is there any point in just saying like this this is a mess, or should I just keep my frustration inside the realm of our podcast listenership? I mean, I I can't hurt. I mean, you've you've documented, I think, some useful things here. Well, no, but I I would have to write things. Well, yeah, but you've got the screenshots to back it up. It's just, uh, especially the um that that install screen, that start menu. Yeah, that's bad. Come on. Because the only other application that does that is uh, Thinkorswim from TD Ameritrade, and it bugged me too. Every time I install it on a new computer, it says, do you want to install start menu shortcuts? And I understand that they assume nobody trades stocks on a Mac, but <laughs> just come on, people. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Anyway, um, I, have, uh, I think I will have some time to devote to playing this. You said it's maybe about uh, five to six hours all in. You can get through it in as little as three, but if if you're going at a you know semi moderate pace, I would yeah I'd set aside between eh, call it four to six. Okay, I'm I'm reasonably confident that I will have uh, played it through unless it turns out to be like just an awful game, which I really don't think it is. 
a lot of people whose opinions I trust and respect have uh, had rave reviews of it. Yeah, it's 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 not perfect, but I I think you'll enjoy it. So yeah, we'll have some uh, actual gameplay talk next week, rather than just uh, game setup talk. Yeah, I think they're I think they're actually there's a lot to I've listened to. Um, um, I guess just one podcast so far, but I've got a couple of others queued up uh, that that just talk about the game, and so I, I, I you know, I, I think it'll be interesting for you and I to talk about as well. Uh, one one quick uh, follow up question before we wrap up with uh, the game stuff: Has this because I I don't venture out into the game media circles, has this game become popular enough where it has the attention of a lot of people, or is this still kind of like a, a nerd niche game? No, it's um, it's gotten out there for sure. Um, it, it's all the major gaming sites have devoted quite a bit of coverage to it. Um, no, it, it, it's it's definitely out there for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm. I would be very interested and more likely to play games if less involved, less horrifically violent. Which I assume this is. Yeah, no, no, it's not not violent at all. No, this is totally, um, this is totally your your type of game. It's it's my type of game too, where it's not not a big time suck. Um, it's easy to get into. Good story. I I love love good stories in games. Like these are the type of games that uh, that would bring a casual like a non gamer to casual gamer if you want to be really liberal in your definition uh, into the fold. Right, and I, I think that the best quick summary of, of the game is it's really, it's an interactive movie. That's, that's the way that you can think of it. Okay. All right. Do you have anything before we go to Picks of the Week? Uh, well, we've got the, do you want to do the Picks of the Week or Better Call Saul first? Uh, let's do Picks of the Week first. Okay. All right. I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, so I am going to th- uh, give a shout out to Audacity. Uh, so speaking of apps that are now retina enabled which which previously were not similar to steam um audacity uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly when this latest version came out um what what is this latest version this is um if it's open source software probably 0.9.3.256 it's well so it's yeah, so it's 2.1.2 so 2.1.1 and all previous versions were were not retina enabled but so now 2.1.2 is so again i don't know exactly when this came out but i downloaded it this week um and was very pleasantly surprised to see that it is now retina enabled uh, and we we don't use audacity a ton for the show but what, what i do use it for is for the um noise remover so i, I run both of our audio tracks through the the like noise reduction i guess it's called now utility and audacity um so it's it's a tool that I use every week for the show, and it was the one and only you know Mac app that I consistently used that wasn't uh, Retina enabled. And now that it is, it's it's a much more uh, pleasant experience on my Retina iMac or Retina, not my Retina iMac. I wish my Retina MacBook Pro. <laughs> oh, well, cool. Yeah, there are certain um, Audacity seems to be one of those weird projects, but it's not in the same league as VLC. But there are certain um, Op- underappreciated uh but like just always there open source projects that provide pretty valuable software yeah i mean really with the specific functionality that we're talking about here with the noise reduction it's audacity or it's a you know two hundred dollar tool like um um i can totally blanking on it but what's a what's adobe's audio adobe editor? audition costs way more than two hundred dollars audition thank you yeah, I guess it probably does, huh? Um, yeah. And Logic doesn't really have any sort of noise reduction. It has a noise gate, which which I which I also use, but noise reduction is kind of a little bit different. So um, it's it's kind of the the best alternative to Adobe, and I mean the the fact that it's free is is pretty remarkable. Well, cool. All right, so my I have a combo pick of the week, and I. Don't know if this is a service I've talked about before, but um, it will be uh, the web service uh, Pinboard and the iOS app Pinner. Are you familiar with what these are? I am not. Have you? Uh, do you remember back in the day uh, a service called Delicious? 
how how could I not? One of the one of the best URLs of all time. Oh, dellicchio.us. Uh-huh. Cool. But do you remember what they did? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were basically just a way for you to both save and share interesting links that you found. That is true, or that 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 is correct. Um, so, delicious got acquired by Yahoo, and then kind of got destroyed, and and then sad days all around. <laughs> like like all, like all things that Yahoo acquires. We, 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 moving on. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not go there. Um, so then there was a, I forget if this was like an ex-developer or if it was just somebody who really liked the service, but there's somebody who created Pinboard, uh, which is uh, the website pinboard.in, which is uh, not necessarily a delicious clone, but it uses the same general concept and it uses the same uh, syntax for its API. But it's it's an ad free, uh, paid for subscription based uh, private bookmarking service that does all of what Delicious does, but it um, allows you to limit all the social sharing stuff. Like it still allows you to be social on the service if you want to, but it's just an incredibly efficient, fast, full featured, and terrific bookmarking service, which I really really like and I've been using for a while. But I finally got kind of back into it. Uh, over the past couple months because I had been kind of like just accumulating a ton of Chrome bookmarks for things and it just got a little bit unwieldy and it was unsearchable and it was just kind of a mess. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it. I really like it. Um, and a feature I recently discovered that they um, that they added a while ago but I was never using is that they will uh, cache bookmarks for you. You can pay them $25 a year and anytime you bookmark something, they will download a, a server-side copy of it for you. So if that website ever goes offline or they change something and then nine months later when you want to look at it, it becomes a 404, you have a cached copy of it, which I think is really cool. And then on the iOS side of things, there's an app not made by them but is also very good called Pinner, which has a great share sheet extension um, that is just the best. So that's my combo pick of the week. What's the, what's the URL here? pinboard.in okay and this is it's $11 a year is that that the deal i don't know what their current pricing is they used to have a model where um it was kind of weird where depending on how many people they had they did some math to it and that was what your one-time sign up fee was but apparently that became a little less sustainable so now i think it's an annual fee so it's probably like between 10 and 15 dollars a year got it and then extra if you want the uh archiving service got it yeah, pretty great. Cool. All right. So better call Saul? Yeah. Um, so maybe not quite as an, an, an eventful episode as the first episode of the season, but that's typical, I guess, of a season premiere versus episode two. But still, still really good. I think it's potentially more so, but... I think this episode's way harder to describe, which is why uh, I saved it for last, and I'm going to let you do all the heavy lifting on it. But yeah, it, it was it was really good. So I um, see. So, yeah, so I, mean, I guess so. You know, we see um, Jimmy integrating into his new firm. Um, we see him working on the Sandpiper case. Um, but there's sort of two two things that are getting in the way of him being successful in this new role. One is his brother who decides to make a surprise appearance to the office, which kind of sort of sort of sort of rattles him. And then two, he gets a call to um to help out the I, I don't know what what's do we even know this guy's name, the the guy who's selling the pills. Yes, and I've totally forgotten. Yeah, and that's not not important, but so he gets he gets a call to to kind of get him get him out of a jam and in doing so basically fabricates the story and actually ends up fabricating some evidence in a, in a really funny scene um so there's still there's still kind of that slipping jimmy um hook that he's got in him and i guess what is interesting about this episode is it really kind of plants the seeds of where it seems like it seems like you know Jimmy like it seems like this the way the story's going to go is that he's got all these opportunities put out in front of him he's worked really hard to get to where he is he has the the clean path that he can go down but he's got all this stuff p- 
pulling him in a different direction, you know, specifically this just desire that he has and the love that he has of kind of being a goofball and, and conning people. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in the episode. And it, it there were a lot of um, really good examples of kind of his personality and what, and what drives him, like of how he's just like a very attention-seeking guy. But also, yeah, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of development that happened that, that lays out the groundwork for what the transition's going to be. Because do we know how long this show's supposed to run? Like, do they have a design time frame for it? And if, if there is one out there, I haven't seen it. Like most of these things are probably planned. They they in starting out they probably hoped for like maybe four to five seasons worth of stuff. Probably, uh, I would say that's yeah, it's probably the the optimistic view. Yeah. Like what what do you think the um, when do you think uh, in the show's timeline when does Jim McGill become Saul Goodman? Well, it it depends on what their goals are. If if they if they eventually want the show to turn into, if they eventually wanted to show the early days of Saul Goodman, like before Walter White, then I I mean I guess that's got to happen in like maybe the next season or two, so that then they have another season or two where they can actually show him as um, Saul. Or if, if they want in that instead to be sort of like the climax of the show, then, you know, that, that may not happen for three or four more seasons. Kind of kind of depends. Like, it d- depends on what they want the overall arc of the series to be. Sure, because I don't think like the, the, like, I mean, I think what we all originally feared when the show came out was that it was going to be some like weekly, like what, what kind of goofy stuff does Saul get into next? Right, like, what, what kind of crazy pre-Walter White client is he taken on today? And I don't think that's what this will become. So that's that's where I don't know at what pace they're going to... And I, you know, I don't remember um, in Breaking Bad if they ever really addressed like how long he had been doing what he was doing like pre-Walter White. Like I don't, I don't know if that was something that he was like relatively new to or if that's something that he had been doing for a number of years. Like, I guess if I had to guess, it seems like it's something that he'd been doing for a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how much story there would be kind of in the pre-Walter White, Saul Goodman days. I think it's got a smart, uh, a smart staff, so I, th- I think they'll figure it out. I do, too. Yeah, but I don't have a lot to add to it. I, d- I think people just need to watch, watch it for themselves, learn what... Um, I'm not going to give it away. Well, I like the I like the dynamic it's setting up between Jimmy and and Kim as well, where clearly this is going to be a point of contention between them. Where you know she wants him to go down the kind of the righteous path, whereas he he thinks he can kind of have it both ways. Exactly right. And and I and I do appreciate her like professional boundaries and that kind of stuff. Like where she she understands the fun that he would want to have and kind of that aspect of his personality, but she thinks of the law and other things in a certain way where he doesn't really see that distinction. And that I think that's gonna be an interesting point of contention. Pretty darn good show. Yep. Well, speaking of pretty darn good shows, I think this this one was okay. <laughs> A rousing endorsement. Keep keeping keeping the segues uh, intact all the way all the way through the end. Absolutely.